0: Hey, I'm Dave, and you're listening to another episode of Dying to Listen Podcast, presented by the Disc Golf Dyers Guild. Today, we have an amazing dyer, J.K. No, that, that's his name, uh, Jay Kennedy, not just Kennedy. Uh, so, <laughs> J., uh, thank you for being on this podcast, and uh, we'll get into it. So, I'm assuming you play disc golf.
1: Absolutely.
0: What got you into disc golf?
1: Oh, it's... That's so long ago, I don't remember. Um, I started playing in 1989, and um, and I played for about three years, and um, went off to college, uh, played a little bit in college, got out, and played up until about 2000, 2001, and I um, I had about a twenty-year hiatus. I, I I quit drinking in two thousand and one, um, and when I did that, I had to I had to step away from disc golf because at the time um, I was hanging around with you know some pretty deviant characters, <laughs> and uh, it was really hard not to 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 do that and and it was associated with disc golf. So, um, but during the pandemic in two thousand and twenty. Um, you know, like a lot of other uh husbands, my wife was you know trying to get me out of the house and just get me out of her hair, and um, I picked it back up and I, I went to this tournament uh with a whole bunch of PFN stuff. There was like, I mean, I had a ridiculous bag full of old discs, and I did really well, and uh. I met a bunch of really cool people, and they encouraged me to come back out. I met the course uh, manager for my local track out here in the country, and the rest is history. I just I, I dove back in, you know, into the deep end.
0: So not to make you sound old, so you said you started playing in 89. Mm-hmm. I was born in 88. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, But you definitely seen some shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've seen some crazy stuff, for sure.
0: Yeah, that must be very interesting to see how disc golf has evolved over that time frame.
1: Absolutely. Um, The molds, the technology, what we understand about just body mechanics and uh, and staying healthy and staying, um, not injuring yourself. And uh, none of that existed for me (laughs) um, back in the 80s and 90s. Um, but now uh, at 52 and with a healthy, you know, desire to compete at a competent level, I knew that I was, I had a lot of practice and a lot of hard work in front of me. So I put way more time and energy into practicing disc golf than I've ever put into dying, (laughs) but, um, yeah that's so yeah i've seen some pretty crazy stuff and some changes but i think most of all it's just been in body mechanics and what we understand about flight and uh taking good care of ourselves
0: yeah no that's awesome that you're still playing disc golf and um it's definitely good to be physical active um even at your old ripe age <laughs> <laughs> um you know someday i'll be there too so a couple couple decades aha uh, do you still have some of your first discs, like those pre-flight number discs?
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah.
0: Are you? Are, do you ever plan on selling those? No, I've no. given
1: a few away. Like I had a Big Bird uh, rock that I gave to a good buddy of mine, um, but I still have a Champion Monster, a Champion uh, Champion Beast, um, an old wolf. Uh, I, yeah, most of them are hung up now, though. I mean, I've switched over to new plastic. One of my favorite discs is the Vandal that you sent to me.
0: Nice. I was going to say, uh how is that doing? You didn't throw I, it into a river or anything yet? No,
1: I cherish it. Uh That is my number one go-to driver.
0: Okay, so, that, that makes me happy because that was literally to this date, my favorite discs that I've ever dyed.
1: Oh man, well, uh, then it's a match made in heaven because I really do, I, I, I got turned on to that mold and uh, by Valerie Holtz at Disc Golf Depot up in Portland. And um, yeah, it's that, that die that and that disc is my number one driver.
0: Awesome, at least you're actually using it and not looking at it on a wall.
1: Absolutely, I yeah. use it every day.
0: Awesome. So speaking of disc dyeing, what got you into disc dyeing?
1: Uh, I have a good friend in Santa Cruz area and she was, she's a poor painter. And I reached out to her originally to see about, uh, using some of her images and putting them on discs. And as I researched that process of how to do that, I ran across the dyers page that we're all part of now. And um, I ran across – I I started realizing that I would have to do a a print and then that would make the disc illegal um, and add weight to it. And as I researched it, I found the Dyers page and um, I think some of the first stuff that I stumbled across was Tiffany Shaw. And uh, I searched her out on YouTube and watched some videos and I saw some examples from some of the OG dyers. I think uh, maybe Chase had something out there and um, certainly uh, I think Jeff Darrow had something out there that I saw. And I saved a few images and I just knew that that was the direction I wanted to go as far as cells. And, uh, that's what I always wanted to do was to basically create a poor painting and replicate that onto a disc. That was, that's, I was, I was never going back. That was what I wanted to do. Uh,
0: that's awesome. What year did you start dying?
1: I started, uh, a little over two years ago.
0: All right. So rel- relatively new. Yeah. Do you remember the first disc that you've died?
1: Yes, it is. I actually have it right here. Hang tight, nice. bag it to this day. Uh, it is a one fifty seven Waisaki destroyer. <laughs>
0: nice.
1: And it is beat to hell, and it's, <laughs> it was like a glue bed, and. Um, But I, I love it. I use it almost as much as the Vandal you died for me.
0: That's awesome. It's awesome that you still haven't, didn't lose it yet.
1: (laughs) I try to keep them in the fairways.
0: Yes. That that's the goal. I mean, that is the goal. Um, do you remember the second or third disc that you died?
1: No, (laughs) no, I I think it was some like DX plastic. I think I made some Mm. of the same mistakes that a lot of folks make, uh, I happened to get lucky on the star destroyer and then I ran out and got a whole bunch of white DX plastic and, you know, immediately found out that that, you know, I pulled it out and I was really excited and it all just washed off. There's like a little faded image on there or something.
0: Yeah. Um, So I know your goal was to do the cells, but what dye methods have you all tried?
1: Um, I did glue beds in the beginning and uh just kind of swirly paisley looking things i saw some videos of people you know swirling sticks through their dyes um but i knew right after that I, I i knew right after that that was not what i wanted that was not what i was after it didn't have the depth and the the, the detail um that i was looking for so i, I abandoned that and went to flow troll almost is within less than a month. I was on to flow troll.
0: So with your first flow troll dies, were you happy with the results that you got?
1: No, um, <laughs> I knew that the mixes were off, uh, because cells were forming, but they weren't holding up. um, what was coming out on the disc was not what i was looking at in the bed so i knew something was off and my wife encouraged me to start taking notes in the very beginning Um, she said you know that's the way you do things so you need to bust out a notebook and start crossing off the stuff that works and stuff that um, that doesn't and so uh, now yeah to answer your question i i was not i was not happy at all
0: so what mistakes did you make and what did you do to correct those mistakes to get to the direction and look that you wanted to with the flow troll stuff
1: I knew that the cells weren't holding up under heat and um so it had something to do I I I figured what we were dealing with was kind of like hydro dipping the image that we were looking at was uh, just a micro thin layer, and I needed to transfer that image. Um, and so I figured what I was looking at was right, but when I put the disc down in it, uh, the contact with the disc and then adding the heat over time, the cells weren't holding up. So uh, I kind of look at each cell as just that a cell of color inside of it, and it has a rim. Um, a a very undetectable thickness but a thickness nonetheless and I figured I needed to figure out how to strengthen up those walls and so the cells wouldn't break apart and give me that faded look and um, and that's when I got into you know just torch work basically is what it what it amounts to is that heat and getting um, the bed ready and strengthening up all those cells I mean if you when you do torch work, I don't know if other people have noticed this, but when you make a cell bed and you take a torch to it from a, a safe distance, not close, it'll crackle if you get too close. But from a distance, as you add that heat, you can actually see the, the cells constrict, they'll tighten up. And I knew that that had something to do with the final result and as i got better at doing torch work and preparing my beds and tightening up those cells um, my results improved dramatically Um, i also had to tweak with my mixes i um i knew that uh, i I had a feeling that alcohol was not helpful for cells Um, any alcohol in the mix i tell everyone uh, get rid of the alcohol get rid of the water just flow troll dye and color enhancer that's it and uh, mix methodically and thoroughly Um, some people shake their dyes Um, i don't i i'm I'm an avid palette knife user i mix everything with a palette knife by hand and uh, i've tried other ways and the results just aren't there for me so I, i i just go back to the tried and true palette knife Slow and steady.
0: So, when you create your mixtures, what do you use? Uh, like the container, um, do you use to mix the mixture in?
1: Just squirt bottles. The okay. like, yeah, condiment bottles. What's nice yeah. is that you can you can kind of hold as you're holding the bottle and and you and you run that palette knife down in there. You can feel the palette knife against the plastic, and if you ever get clumps on the palette knife, you can actually see it smear on the side of the of the bottle and then you know that all the dye is not mixed in yet and so it's it's very uh tactile um Mm -hmm. but i know when the dyes are ready to make beds because i'm i'm just that close to it i guess i i don't know to each their own i know like jeff shakes his up and like gallon jugs or something like that. And everyone does it differently. I'm just adamant about the palette knife.
0: Yeah. Uh, what size size Kisman charge do you use?
1: I think they're, I don't know, just a regular, regular size. I I don't know if those are 12 ounce or 14 ounce or I, I don't know, but I think I pour my bottles are usually between 10 and 12 ounce, uh, 10 and 12 ounces.
0: Gotcha. Do you have a specific ratio of dye to Floetrol that you use? Uh,
1: yeah, just standard prescription. I use one teaspoon per 10 ounces or so.
0: Um, gotcha.
1: if you go, if, if there's a little bit more Floetrol in the, in the, some colors I mix a little bit more of, like I don't mix as much black. Um, uh, so I might put in eight ounces of Floetrol, but I still use a teaspoon cause I like my blacks really black. And then, um, and if you put in 12 ounces and you put in lemon zest, it might just be a lighter yellow, but not too much difference with an ounce or two extra.
0: Gotcha. So I'm curious, have you noticed a real difference real between dip- actually shaking the bottle of the mixture versus mixing it with the palette knife?
1: Yeah. Um, really it's in the bubbles, those mm. little fine, um, bubbles. I noticed when I shake. Uh, my mix when I was shaking my mixes up, um, I'd often have like little stars in the finished disc if you look closely from a distance. In pictures that we share on on the internet, you can't really see them, but to me, I could see little specks. It's as if it wasn't completely the dye wasn't completely dissolved because you're yeah. talking about every little granule of that dye. Is capable of dispersing itself into the Floetrol, but as with old, uh, you know, the old painters of of the past, when they mix their their paints with their palette knives, they really work that pigment into their medium—the oil, or in this case, Floetrol—and that's why I really like the palette knife because I know that all of the little granules are dissolved into that Floetrol, and I don't have to worry about. Air bubbles and hitting the flow trawl with uh, with a, a torch and getting those bubbles to pop, which may in turn create some cells that I don't necessarily want. I try to do things pretty on I, I try to do cells on purpose. Um, they are random but I try to add a sense of structure around it.
0: Do you add anything else to actually create the cells like silicone oil?
1: Yes. Yeah. All my, all my dyes, including a, a bottle of, I use a bottle of clear flow trawl, um, uh, just straight flow trawl. And I add, a, I actually add a splash of color enhancer to that and oil. Um, so I have white and I have black, and then I have my six, you know, uh, basic colors in the rainbow. Um, under that, so I use eight colors.
0: What uh, what's the oil that you use? I use
1: the Michael's uh, silicon oil, and I also have dimethicone, and I've used that a few times um, for larger cells. I don't think that that particular dimethicone that I have makes a strong cell, though. So I, I just, I just excuse me, I just abandon it. I didn't hmm. uh, I, I didn't feel that uh, the clarity and the crispness that I like in my dyes was there with the dimethicone. Um, so I haven't used it for uh, at least six or seven months.
0: So the oil that you use, I'm unfamiliar with it, but if you had to compare the viscosity to the dimethicone cone, would it be thicker or thinner? thinner okay. Yeah, I mean, if you if you had to describe the viscosity, the oil, how would you describe it? <laughs> <laughs> Oily. Okay, great, great, great scientific answer there. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, also curious about the color intensifier. Have you noticed a difference using that versus yeah. not?
1: Absolutely. Really? Oh, absolutely. They, it gets your colors to pop. There's no. Huh. Yeah. There's no. There's no comparison. You mix mix up dyes without it, and run some discs. Uh, it would be a fun experiment other than the fact that it's kind of a waste because I, um, I don't I don't know about adding the color intensifier after the dye's is already mixed. So that's something I haven't done yet. What I usually do is I put in the flow troll, I put in my teaspoon of dye, I put in a big splash dropper of the intensifier, and then i start mixing so uh i don't know because i haven't experimented with it yet but it makes a huge difference it would be fun to see the difference but i know that when i started using the intensifier i started getting the colors to come out the way i wanted them like the royal purple and the lemon zest and the caribbean blue and the way they were all melding together had a finished look that which was what I was looking for.
0: Hmm. That is also fascinating. Uh, is that color of like the packets that you get with eye dye or do you have, Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, exactly. That? And I think it's just a little bit of, I think it's a little bit of denatured alcohol, which kind of goes against what I was saying earlier, but, and clear dish soap from what I understand. Now I have made that mixture, uh, what I thought was the right viscosity and stuff and tried it and to make my own color intensifier and it sucked. So hmm. I don't know what's in it, but, um, I actually die, I, I buy i dye poly black and I save all those color packets, um, for, for my dye mixes.
0: So the mixture is just magic, pure magic. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of colors, what colors do you like to use? Um,
1: well, I I, I use a, a custom orange. Well, red, uh, fire red, is my favorite red from Pro Chemical and dye. And then I make a custom orange with the fire red and the lemon zest, and um, then the lemon zest i make a custom green which was just lemon zest with a little bit of caribbean blue and a little bit of cobalt blue and then i make um uh, then i use the caribbean blue uh sometimes i do use a darker blue if i want to have a little darker shade on a cell um and then I make a royal purple, and sometimes I'll make a custom purple, but very rarely anymore. I used to make one with the royal purple, and then I just add a little bit of Caribbean blue to it, which makes a wonderful purple. Um, but I found that all those purples are easily obtained by the way I layer my, you know, the way I lay out the colors. Anyway, so I was getting the purple I wanted, and I didn't need a, I didn't need a squirt bottle to get it.
0: I see that you like bright and vibrant colors.
1: Yeah. That's so we can find our discs.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I'm assuming the black that you like to use is eye dye black.
1: It's a custom, uh, but it's primarily eye dye. So I, I my black is, um, I, would, I have it weighted out, um, but it's almost all eye dye and some onyx and some uh, dark dungeon so gotcha. a little bit of both so it's a uh goes more to like a dark purple spectrum
0: hmm. so some questions on your bed creation what container do you use to house the troll bed
1: i've had three dollar discs from day one that i got at the dollar store i have a red one a yellow one and a green one
0: nice how big is the diameter on those
1: just slightly bigger than you know if i had this disc here it would be maybe about out to here
0: how deep is it
1: um about three quarters of an inch maybe
0: gotcha so your beds aren't really necessarily that deep
1: no um you yeah no Uh, i start off with about an eighth inch layer of troll and then you know it, it comes up a little bit as you add colors and then there's quite a bit of displacement so if I'm doing a, a flat top disc like a Toro or something like that um, I don't need to have them that deep just so long as they float and they won't bottom out um, but when you start getting into the domier discs the destroyers and such um, uh, you want to make sure you have enough flow trawl in there so when the displacement happens, you know, it doesn't bottom out and there's enough to, to work up to the edges um, and not overflow. So, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's a fine line, but you, I don't know. Everybody just gets used to how much we can get away with.
0: Yeah. So I I feel like you overflow a lot, and that's why you have that towel. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Um No, actually that's not what
1: uh, that's from. Uh, what that's actually from is uh, when when the flow troll starts to thicken up and it, and it clogs the, the tip mm. um, you can put you can you can kind of give it a little squeeze and get that clog to stick its little head out and then I put my finger on Towly in that thing and I just pull that booger. <laughs> Out of the out of the squeeze bottle, and so over time, you know, doing that a gazillion times, and then I used sticks to level things out, um, and then the sticks got stuck on the towel, <laughs> and uh, and it just yeah, and now Tally is more of like he helps me balance things, you know. So when I'm making my beds, he keeps my table level, or you know, I can move that dollar disc around just ever so slightly, <laughs> and get that sweet spot. And so my designs are centered because of towelie. If I didn't have towel I don't even know. I don't even know what I would, I'd. I quit dying.
0: That's crazy. Well, you know, don't forget your towel. No. <laughs> uh, for. Have you noticed some of the colors sink more than others when you put them on top of the base? No. No,
1: no it's not like uh, it's not like blue beds. Um, I excuse. Me. Yeah. It's not like blue beds, the, the droppers, the, um, I think when I was doing traveling cups, uh, that's where it's more, that's where it comes into play. Hmm. So when you layer colors in a cup and you, and you put it out and, and, and the dyes just kind of, they're all kind of bleeding together, coming out of the bottom of that thing. Um, that's when the densities really play a part and how you layer those colors. Um, That was also too much random for me. And that was not what I was looking for. Um, Even though I still do some traveling cups every now and then, um, I did not want the unknown factors that come with that style. Um,
0: Makes sense.
1: Yeah. I I really was headed – I've always wanted to go to a very – purposeful design method.
0: So how do you layer colors on top of the uh, base flow troll bed?
1: Just rings or stripes or whatever. Um, I think I made a post recently where I drew a picture out of a, a face, you know, I just drew a face and, uh, and then, you know, pulled the saran wrap and, and, and it, and it, and it will make a cool design. Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't really have any thing. I, some people use cake plates. I kind of do rings where I'll do a ring with a bridge across this. Uh, I'd like to call them color bridges. Um, yeah, I just kind of put them down how I see fit.
0: So you kind of answered the question that I was going to ask ne- next is what do you use to swipe with? And it's a ran wrap. Do you have any specific method of how you pull that saran wrap over the flow troll?
1: Yeah, I, I, I pull, I pull up the, the corners. I think, uh, quite a few videos out now, people doing the exact same thing that I do, um, I might go a little slower. Um, people are usually do that pretty quick. Um, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it really matters that much. It's, um, I think the quicker you go, you might have muddying colors. Uh, you might have a little bit more, uh, drift with, with your color palette, but I, I I don't know. I don't have anything in my notes that, that, you know, says ghost. you know, I, I just try to go slower and I, Mm -hmm. I pull towards the center, um, from the outside up and towards the center and then I just kind of twist it off and throw it away.
0: Do you swipe more than once?
1: i don't do very many swipes but um sometimes i'll pull a second time but very rarely um if i'm needed if i have to pull another saran you know another piece of saran over a design that isn't you know selling up properly it's probably because of my mixes and not because of the saran wrap and uh, just just this morning i i went out to go do a uh, uh, a bed for a guy and um i just wasn't happy at all with the the pole the and it was grainy and and instead of doing another saran wrap you know i i tried to do uh like a royal purple swipe across the whole thing to see if i could salvage the flow trawl that was in there and it just wasn't I, it, it wasn't ever gonna so um yeah
0: how long do you let the cells develop for, and is there anything that you do to develop them?
1: Um, heat, you know. Uh, you can see, uh, I think, uh, you know, like in Robert Foster's um, uh, chameleon setup. You know, he, he puts it under that heat lamp, and that the heat helps develop the cells, and um, and it also tightens up the cells. So he's, you know, those cells, if you put it on time lapse, even though they're creating, they're also constricting at the same time. And so the rim around each one of those cells, when we put heat to them, is tightening up and it's actually creating a little dam or or a sticker, if you will. We're we're creating a sticker that we want to stick to the disc immediately. So if you've prepared your bed, if you take a clear disc, and this is how I learned this uh, was, was dropping in a champion plastic into a bed. Um, the die didn't work out, but I learned something by putting it in. When I put it into the bed and the bed was done properly, I could spin the disc in the flow troll and it didn't affect the design. So I'm all like, now I'm on something. Now I have figured out, you know, that I've made that thing basically a sticker and I and it sticks immediately to the, to the disc. Now I tried to be careful. I don't want it to drift too much. And, uh, and you can have, um, you can have some problems out on the outer rim. If, um, if you don't stick around and let the disc settle into the, into the design. Um, but I knew that the heat was uh, a big part of getting the bed ready. Um, I think a lot of people will create a cell bed and they just put a disc right into it. And there's so much stuff that's happening underneath. Um, it, it's the the bed just simply isn't ready for a disc. Um, and heat will stop cells from creating too. So you can sl- um, it will generate cells, but it will also stop it from growing. So you got to work quick. Um, but the heat will arrest the growth and allow you to get that disc down into the bed and get that image on the disc um and get it cooking
0: so on average how long do you let the cells develop for
1: uh, five minutes ten minutes i don't know something like that it, just when gotcha. it looks just when it looks good and you know and i start doing the torch work um and getting you know uh And as I'm doing that torch work, it usually takes, you know, about five minutes or something like that.
0: That's awesome that you did that experiment with the clear disc because um, like with clear glue, you have the clear glue bed, then you have the dye, then you have the disc and the clear glue and the disc kind of sandwich that dye. And it's like a sticker, a sticks there. And that's fascinating with flow trolls. What you experienced was kind of the same concept where, once it touches the disc it's stuck on there not really going to move
1: yeah i think it's really important for people to understand the concept of of getting that bed ready um and it's and it's just a micro thin layer um and it is it's like a cross between hydro dipping where you're pushing something all the way through the design and then a little bit of screen printing um as well mm-hmm. um or like sort of uh yeah like a cross between screen printing and hydro dipping except you're just not pushing the image all the way through but you want that really thin layer to be like a micro sticker
0: mm-hmm. yeah so do you think that happens because when you use heat to the flow troll, it starts to become like the booger consistency which makes it you know
1: absolutely t-
0: yeah yep. okay
1: cool. absolutely that is exactly what happens is it creates that micro thin layer and you freeze the image that you want and then you put and then it's time to put it on the disc
0: man this is fascinating my mind's like <laughs> nice um how long do you typically leave the disc under the heat for assuming you use heat
1: yeah, I've been using dehydrator pretty consistently now. Um, it took me a little while to get used to it, and I was running stuff at 105. Um, in my world, uh, it's really important to salvage the stamp, um, especially recently. God, I've had some crazy discs coming through my lab, uh, getting sent to me. I did a, you know, just like that, like a broken claw. It's just like a white broken claw, and I'm just like, oh my god! It's like this, this is a hundred and twenty dollar disc, you know.
0: <laughs>
1: and then, I, like, I had a night strike and a uh, night strike two that came in those mystery boxes a few years back from Perkins. Um, anyways, my point is that uh, the stamps in a lot of cases are important, and I found that 105 even is just a little too hot, so I brought the temperature down to 100 and uh and then ramp the time up and now i'm running a lot of stuff at like 95 degrees and running it for three and a half four hours it depends a lot on the feeling of the stamp and the, the type of plastic um but 95 is really kind of the safety zone and you just need to add a little extra time and uh, Uh, I think, um, uh, Michael O'Hearn, um, turned me on to, uh, just letting the disc sit in there, you know, once, once it's done. And if you can just let it sit for three or four hours, you know, even overnight. Um, if your image is stuck on there and you baked it on good, it's just going to saturate more with that extra six or seven hours. And you get that really deep saturation.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. That usually happens with discs that I do at night. Um. So I do. I try to do a couple of discs in the morning, and then you know I have to go about my day, and then um and then I'll then I'll do a couple more at night, and those ones um, I let sit, and I'll I'll catch them in the morning and wash them off. Um. But to answer your question, it depends on plastic and. Um, generally speaking i'm around 95 or 100 nowadays for anywhere i haven't i haven't put anything in the dehydrator for less than three hours in a long time that seems can be kind of the sweet spot
0: what got you turned on to the dehydrator
1: i don't know uh i think somebody in in finland was doing it
0: Hmm.
1: and uh I, it, honestly, I don't know, Dave. I, I, I think it was somebody that I saw in, in Finland uh, was doing it. I can't remember who it was.
0: So I'm assuming you like the dehydrate a lot better than the heat lamp.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do now. Um, the, only, uh, the, only, the only difference is the second beds are um, sometimes a little tough uh, with the dehydrator, um, there's just a little bit too much moisture loss. And so the material that's left over is a little uh, thicker Hmm. and, um, yeah, I don't know with, with heat lamps, it seems like when, when I pull a disc, the second bed was always definitely dippable. You know, you could send, you could send another disc into it. So when you're trying to crank out a bunch of discs, um, a shop order or something like that, it's really nice to have a second bed that looks bitchin' that you can drop a disc into. And that's the nice thing about running heat lamps. So sometimes with shop orders, I will run double heat lamps um, on opposite ends of a table so I can get four discs out of two beds.
0: Nice, man, this is all good information. Um, How many beds do you, how many discs do you typically get out of a bed?
1: Well, I re, I recharge the beds. So I don't, um, so, uh, without adding dye to the first one and the second one. And then what I'll do is I'll with, after the second one, uh, if, if it looks, if I'm still in that same color palette, I'll just add some color rings around it, do a pull and, um, you know and just refresh it i think i did another i think i did a post uh, a couple weeks ago that showed you know like the first bed and then a recharge bed and very little material and i got a cool design out of it with you know just minimal minimal work minimal material and good results
0: awesome so are you currently happy with the product and designs that you're producing and is there anything else that you would want to experiment or expand on
1: uh yeah i'm happy with where things are now um it's uh you know the the dying world is so uh populated i mean we're, there's so many of us and there's so much talent out there it's hard to stand out and um, I think my dyes stand out. I think they speak for themselves. Um, uh, I'm starting to get some some fun stuff. I just recently was chatting with Gavin Babcock. Um, so I'm going to be passing off some stuff to him in Portland. And, um, you know, there's good things happening. And I think you just, you know, you put, you put your best foot forward. And um, I don't do a lot of advertising. People kind of seek me out. And uh, I don't have... You know, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of inventory, so that's good.
0: Yeah. Um, you just got to make sure to not have those smudges that look like a JK on your disc yeah. all the time. That's pretty annoying.
1: <laughs> that was my son's idea.
0: <laughs> nice. Um, shit. What was I going to say? Do you have a favorite uh, accessory that you like to use for dying besides Towly?
1: Yeah, my pallet knife. I, I couldn't die without tally or a pallet knife.
0: <laughs> nice alright um, what inspires your die creations which okay, I'm going to re-ask that because I have an idea but I'm assuming I know what inspires your die creations but in your own words what inspires what you create
1: hmm um, well I, I think for me it's it's just it really is very therapeutic um, but what inspires me, I guess, is just my natural surroundings and, and my love for the sport and color. I, I've always been an artist um, and to have an, to have an avenue to express, you know, those colors and not, and not only that, but then to be able to go out and play um, with them and see people playing with them. Um, I run into people all the time now. It's crazy. I was just down in Vegas, and uh, and uh, the, they 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 saw that I was in Vegas and said, "Hey, come on, say hi," and, um, you know, and and so it's it's just really that inspires me. It, what inspires me is just the community, um, art, my surroundings. I've always lived in the country. I live on forty acres right now, and. Um, so we see beautiful sunsets and sunrises and, um, lots of plants and trees. And so, I don't know. What do you think inspires me?
0: Well, you know, uh, I know you said the acrylic, uh, painting pores inspired you at first. So I'm yeah. assuming you wanted to reproduce that. So that was part of it. But the next question you kind of answered, but why do you like disc dyeing and what keeps you dyeing discs?
1: Oh man, Um, I don't know, because we're all nuts. It's it's ridiculously addictive, and um, why we become addicted to certain outlets, um, I can think of a lot worse things to be addicted to. I don't think anyone's been put in jail for dying discs. Um, So, for me, it's just it's in my personality. I, I have a rather addictive personality. Um, I tend to go, you know, neck deep in everything I get involved with, um, give it 100%. And this dying was just waiting for me to jump in. I, I I don't know how else to explain it. I don't know why I keep doing it other than the fact that I'm just have
0: to. Nice. So you're going to die until you die.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Um, so do you have any notable fail stories or anything that was interesting when you were experimenting?
1: Oh, oh, just recently. Um, some guy sent me three bottles of color, um, in those, um, you know, the bottles that you can have acetone stuff in it was pre-mixed color and there was no sediment in it. Um, and I had them for it seemed like a year and I didn't know who sent them to me. Um they just showed up. And I, I didn't have a record player, so I didn't do spin dies. And then eventually a colleague, um uh Eagle McMulligan, uh Jason, came out to the farm and um brought me a record player and uh he showed me a little bit of spin stuff and I showed him a cell die and uh and I started using those those colors in those bottles with Q-tips to finish up the rims on some on some dyes, and I just kept telling myself, you know, you got to put the top back on, you got to put the top back on, you got to put the top back on. And it sure as shit, you know, I, I I had the the royal purple or the pink, and I you know I I, I knocked it, and it just went everywhere. But I. I die in a lab. My my place is absolutely filthy, messy, colors everywhere. So it wasn't that big of a deal, but, you know, it did go everywhere. Um, I've also had – I've dropped a a bed with a disc in it, you know, on the way to the dehydrator. I've, you know, everything. Everything under the sun except I've never been allowed to do it inside. So um, there you have it. I haven't haven't wrecked any furniture or floors that are – are meant to be protected
0: where is your dye lab?
1: um it's out my barn um it's actually a, I was a cannabis farmer for the past 5 years and uh and I have an indoor space that I use for curing and I didn't plant this year the economy in the in that industry is just tanked and uh Instead of planting, I just moved uh, all my dye stuff into my indoor space, which is nice. It's insulated, and um, I have a fan and heat and lots of electricity. So it's very comfortable space, and I'm just
0: using it for art now. That's awesome. I'm assuming it's temperature controlled.
1: Uh, to a certain extent. I mean, in the summertime, I have AC units that I can turn on if I want, um, but it stays nice and cool. It's It's insulated on all sides and above.
0: And speaking of that, have you noticed any difference with your um, dyes in summer and winter with the different temperatures?
1: No. Oh. No. Um, if the room's cold, though, of course the 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 mixes become you know slower. So I keep a I keep a little space heater by my little dye area. It's a bigger room. It's about an eight hundred square foot room. So I just dye in one corner of it and I keep a little space heater over there.
0: All right, so you may see him in a different location. That is because his laptop battery died, but we are back. Um, so yeah, let's see, where the hell were we? Um, so it sounds like you don't have a whole lot of inventory of disks, and I'm assuming you do a lot of commission disks.
1: Uh, yeah yeah, I do a lot of commission work and I do a lot of shop work, uh, primarily for disc golf depot up in Portland. Um, but I've done stuff for all day disc golf and Oregon disc golf. And, um, so, but I'm slowly, but surely building a little roster of some bigger arms that, um, that, and repeat customers. And, um, yeah, I, j- I just very rarely have, uh, Inventory available, which yeah, it's a problem, but it's yeah, it's a good problem to have. I mean, I guess there's a lot of people that are, you know, get stuck on dies, and and um, that's that's not good. So how
0: like how big is your backlog? Uh,
1: you mean is uh, right now? I don't let it get too out of hand. I think right now I probably have maybe twenty or thirty to get through.
0: That's a decent amount, but yeah. Have you had any weird commissions at all? No. Yeah, I figure would be kind of pretty standard uh, because people know to produce and you don't do stencils. So. Yeah,
1: I don't. I don't do stencils. Um, I want to. I have a. I have a circuit cutter. Um, but it's just so time consuming, and um, I know that. It makes it look easy, but that extra process and the hot dip or, or brushing on your blacks um, is just uh, – it's, some, it's something I don't have. In it. And for me, it needs to be economical too. I mean I knew um, I'm spending money. I was, I was trying to show my kids that you could have a hobby and you could also make that hobby help pay for itself if, mm-hmm. if you do it right. And so I always try to be mindful of what I'm spending on discs and material and shipping and those sorts of things. So when I sell a disc, it's equitable for, for me and it's equitable, you know, and it's a good deal for, uh, for the golfer as well. Um, whereas I, I feel like some of the stencil work, even some stuff that I die right now, it's just, uh, it's just absolute lunacy that you can buy a disc from some of the talent that's out there for 50 or $60. And when it easily should be two or $300 as much time is spent on them. And, um, I can't see myself getting into that, uh, because of that.
0: Yeah, no, don't get into stencil work. If you want to make money
1: well i don't want to <laughs> it's not necessarily <laughs> about making money either though it's yeah. it, it's uh it's just about not not losing my time i have two yeah. kids and a lot of responsibilities and so the time that i have needs to be that i have to spend on discs i wanted to be gratifying and economical and yeah. i can't see that i can see it being gratifying doing the stencil work for myself and maybe, uh, close golfing buddies. Um, but I can't see it being economical for turning around orders for folks.
0: Yeah. Do it as kind of like a passion thing to, um, just your kicks off that way and something different, but large production and custom stencils for commission work, not, not great.
1: I could see if you had – well, I can't really see. I I, <laughs> I had a, a CJ Webb sent me a disc, a, 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 I don't know, a year or so ago. We did a little collab, and he sent me a disc that still had the vinyl on it. And um, I didn't really know what to do. I, I mean, I opened this thing, and this thing's covered with plastic, and I'm just like, oh, shit, <laughs> what do I do? I didn't, I didn't even – I didn't really know how, what to take off and what to leave on, but I just remember it being a pain in the ass, the sticky stuff that was all over the disc and cleaning it off. And it, just, it was definitely not something I could see myself doing.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> oh, why do I torch myself with stencils? Because they kick ass. They do. Um, but Yeah. It's a passion thing that you, I enjoy doing them.
1: And I am grateful that there are artists such as yourself that do them because they, they do. They kick ass.
0: Yeah. Well, um, keep on what you're doing with the flow stuff because you're kicking ass with that, obviously. Thanks. Um, the other question I, that I wanted to ask is how do you dispose of your flow trial?
1: I keep it in five gallon bucket and with a lid. And when it fills up to the top, I take it to our local hazmat place, the same place that you dispose of paint and other hazardous chemicals. Uh, In Lane County, we pride ourselves in all kinds of recycling um, stuff. I live outside of Eugene, which is kind of the hub of of a lot of that um, counterculture, 60s recycling, uh, terror, you know, just all that stuff is right around me. So, um, I just a simple Google search and I had my answer within minutes.
0: Right now. How much flow troll do you actually go through in say a month? Uh,
1: what are, how much is in those big, the big jugs? I think it's a gallon. So I'd probably go through two gallons. Okay. Not
0: if, too bad. Where, if that, yeah, where do you procure your pro, uh, flow troll at?
1: It's all over the place where I am. So my local Ace Hardware out here in Veneta carries it um, at my request, but um, they sell it for eighteen bucks, uh, seventeen ninety nine for a gallon, and I can get it in town um, for fourteen ninety nine. So,
0: gotcha. That's not too bad. No,
1: it's not bad at all.
0: Um, have you vended at any events? Yeah. Great, uh, do you like vending at events? Yeah. Fantastic. Okay these these answers and questions are going great. Um, do you have any tips that you would like to give anybody that does want to vend at events to help them be successful? No. Great. All right. Move.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I would say, don't take too much. Don't take – you know I, I think a lot of people over die in getting prepared to go to those um, sorts of things and they show up with every mold and every color that they can think of and they get 40 or 50 discs deep into going to an event and um, and maybe that's the result of a lot of dying um, or discs that hadn't sold and you're trying to get rid of old inventory but – my theory's always been to keep it small. And so when I'm getting ready to go to an event, I might do 10 to 20. And I'm hoping to get rid of all of them. So, um, which is usually the case. So that's That's awesome. That's I I would I would recommend that you don't die too much in getting ready for an event. Unless of course you already have the inventory, then by all means take it sell it, vend it. You know, you look like a big time vendor at that point when you have, this is my disc This is my Innova. This is my, I just mm-hmm. put them out on a tie-dye. Um, the ones that I want to sell and people come by and look at them. And some of them, you, you know, they fall in love right away and cash money.
0: Nice. Um, and speaking of cash money, what do you typically sell your discs at for price?
1: It's the same as everybody else. I think I, uh, I usually double the price of the disc and add shipping. Okay. So if I have an $18 disc, um, that's 30 whatever, $36, and then add six for shipping. So like $40, $45, bucks, something like that. Makes um, sense. Locally, like I'll sell to shops uh, a finished disc for $30. They usually like to turn around and sell them for $35. Um, and I do, I don't charge anything to pros, touring pros. I, I do all just, you know, they're, they're, they're busy and that's advertising in and of itself. So a big arm throwing your disc is, uh, is like a gigantic business card.
0: So, so what pros throw your discs?
1: Uh, I don't know. I'd have to, <laughs> I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't really been keeping track. Um, like I said, I, I, just, just most recently, uh, was talking with Gavin Babcock and, uh, Alden Harris reached out and, uh, so I might be doing something for him. Um, uh, I've had a couple other people trolling my site since then. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I and a lot of local big arms too. This, this kid up in Portland, Dallas, Garber, which is a man, 15 year old kid. And he just, <laughs> he just puts people to shame it's ridiculous um i haven't really kept track to be honest with you i just making discs
0: that's that's awesome um the question another question that i wanted to ask earlier is, is you have a favorite uh, manufacturer that you like to dye and or plastic type
1: oh absolutely neutron plastic is by far my favorite nice um it's not necessarily my favorite molds to throw anymore. I do throw some MVP, some uh, some gyro stuff. Um, I love my Paradox and my Uplink. Um, but that is by far my favorite plastic. My f- absolute favorite canvas to work on is a white-rimmed, white-plate Neutron. That is the best, in my opinion, for what nice. I, for what I do.
0: So I'm an MVP slash axiom fanboy. I think I need to get you a disc or two uh, to die for me. Send them on. And I do think I have a blank white one with a white rim. I think that, it's a vanish.
1: That yeah. is that is the in my opinion that is the best canvas for dying. It is a white rim neutron disc.
0: Fantastic. I
1: have I have this die right here. I have. Um, neutron discs that were died over a year ago that look exactly like this. I mean, they are, ex- they look exactly like they did a year ago.
0: That's no, awesome.
1: No fading, nothing.
0: So what you're saying is MVP slash axiom is best disc
1: <laughs> in my, in my opinion, it is. Oh,
0: good. Yes. For,
1: for longevity, they might not pop as much as, you know, like some of the other plastics, some of the finished plastics, uh, mm. you know, the, the cast of plastic stuff, it looks really great. And everybody says, you know, and, and we all know that it fades very quickly. Um, and, and so I, to me, that's just not, that's not something I even die anymore unless I'm requested
0: to dye it. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, um, Jay, there's a lot of good information that I've learned that, I want to apply to my disc dyeing like the flow troll stuff. I literally did my first flow troll like two weeks ago. Um, and it turned out better than I expected. But now understanding your process, I think I'm gonna try some of that stuff and I, I have a better idea of how things work. So um man, great information.
1: Yeah, the 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 trick is the mix. Get yeah. the alcohol and water out of your mix and mix methodically and make sure all those granules are dispersed into the into the flow troll and once it's thoroughly mixed gently add your oil and then be careful with the bottles after that and you can make cells you know like you can swipe your hand across it and make cells at that point if your mix is right you could literally can swipe your hand across it and make cells. So I just helped a guy today that it was just like, all right, I gotta know. And I just told him, I said, send me your exact process for mixing your dyes, every single ingredient, every single step, and I'll get you dialed in. And so long as, I mean, almost always send me an example picture and your process. And the example pictures usually have small cells, and I know right away they're, they're using hot water and alcohol and you got to get rid of that stuff. Um, in my opinion, to have uh, good cell structures and ease of design creation.
0: Well, now you can refer people to this podcast so they can learn <laughs> everything they need to, to learn. Um, if you had to start this dying today, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently? No. Great, I mean, you learned what you learned by experimenting and failing, so. That's right. Awesome.
1: That's the, that's the process.
0: Well, again, um, learned a lot on the dying side of things. Now, we're gonna get to know Jay on a personal level. <laughs> okay. So, the next section that we have is Favorite Fave. So, what is your favorite band or song?
1: Currently, my favorite musician is probably Jose Gonzalez, and uh, I'm really digging his song,
0: Storm, currently. What kind of uh, music slash genre is that?
1: Uh, he's a singer-songwriter. He's been around for quite a while. You, you've you probably heard him in the background in a lot of different stuff. You just didn't realize it was him. Mm. Look him up, Jose Gonzalez um he okay. is um his, i believe his father is argentinian and his mother is swedish and he lives in Gutenberg. and uh the last time i saw him was actually at ucla with the Gutenberg string theory i took my wife down there for he did three or four shows in the states um big ones he did uh, two in san francisco uh two in seattle two in san francisco and two in la but um He's really fantastic.
0: Nice. Uh, do you listen to music when you die?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I, um, not all the time. I'm usually pretty quick about getting in and out of the lab, though.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. What is your favorite food? Indian. Nice. Man, I haven't had Indian food in a while, and I can really go for some. I love uh, the spices. Yeah. Makes sense. What is your favorite beverage? Coffee. That's a, that's a good choice. Um, I hate the smell of coffee and the taste, but I still drink it, but it's mostly like just heavy cream and sugar with it. Like a little bit of coffee.
1: (laughs) I I drink it black. You know, uh, I said earlier that I, I gave up drinking in 2001 and I got really used to drinking coffee. Um, I drink coffee all the way until bedtime. Um, I don't drink, you know, I don't do that anymore, um, but I could, you know, I I have a cup in the evening and a couple cups in the morning, but I I really like my coffee.
0: So do you drink it because you like it or do you drink it because of the effects?
1: I really enjoy it. I know that some people don't like that bitter uh, flavor, but um, I actually do enjoy it.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, you're weird. Um, so besides the disc golf and disc dying, what other hobbies do you have?
1: Well, I, I was a fly fishing guide for 25 years. Um, so, uh, rowing boat and fly fishing are a big part of my past. Um, man, everything I, I can turn anything into a hobby, but, um, but fly fishing was a big part. I've traveled all over the world catching fish and helping people catch fish. So
0: that's awesome. Um, have you ever talked to Jory? Because I think he does. Uh, I don't know if he does fly fishing or not.
1: <laughs> he's up in Hood. Yeah, he's up in Hood River. I haven't hooked up with Jory yet. Um, I've been in in the neighborhood, uh, but you know, the last time I was up in Hood River, I was there for uh, my brother in law's wedding, so there was just no way I could get away.
0: Gotcha. Um, All right. Next section that I have, if you had to pick three discs to play any course for the rest of your life, what would those three discs be and why? Uh,
1: The Vandal, uh, because it's a really controllable nine speed that will flip to flat. And if I really put some heat on it, I can get it to uh, flip over and work right to left. I'm a lefty. So, for me, having something that'll flip over and stay over when I want it to is really important. Um, I am working on my forehand this past year. So, I carry that 157 Destroyer for forehands. Um, so, I would say the Vandal, uh, my 157 Destroyer, and my CT Luna. Nice. Which are right. two of the only discs in my bag that aren't dyed. <laughs>
0: I have no dyed discs in my bag, surprisingly. Um, Yeah, I got to change that. Um, Next section, the perfect hole. What has been your favorite course and or hole that you've played so far?
1: 11 at Camp Serene is one of my favorite holes in Oregon. It's just this beautiful left to right. I'm a lefty, so um, I can throw a, a ripping little firebird and there's several different pin placements that James has put on the course. So there's there's a short location, and then there's two longer out uh, locations. And um, they both play to my swing um, favorably, but it's just beautiful. You 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 come from hole ten, you walk down this path over a creek and up through these winding stumps, and you come to this tee pad, and and we've put a bench in there, and this beautiful this beautiful, uh, grove of Aspens that, that bends out and follows the Creek. It's just everything that you could possibly want out of a gorgeous golf hole. In my opinion, Camp Serene in general, at, uh, where I play is, it is like a, it's like a fairyland. It is almost unbelievably gorgeous. And and they and we've put <laughs> and we've put a uh, troll uh, gnomes everywhere, like hiding out in the trees and in these bushes, and and it's just out of this world, man. If if you if you ever get to Oregon, you've got to come play Camp Serene. Casey White and Adam Hammis played around um, out at Camp Serene. You check it out on YouTube. Actually, Casey got a uh, Casey busted out an ace
0: on hole nine in this hanging basket
1: nice unseen unseen he just (laughs)
0: drilled it i'll definitely have to check out the video to see what that course is like though um that's awesome yeah do you have any courses that are on your bucket list
1: oh my gosh yes uh all of them every single one um right now my my number one is i want to get down to whistler's ben um scott withers just replaced all the baskets down there So uh, I really want to get down and play Whistler's Bend as soon as possible. We've been talking about um, heading down there pretty soon. And I'm going to take another trip down to Santa Cruz and visit Josh at AGL uh, with some of my buddies up here. And, uh, yeah, I'd really like to get down there and spend some time with those guys.
0: So, dream date. If you had to uh, play around with a pro disc golfer and hang out with, who would it be and why? Why?
1: I would have to say Paul. Um, I like the way he holds himself and I think he's a really good ambassador for our sport and he doesn't seem to give any fucks about, you know, the way he, where his, where he is in disc golf. Um, He's accomplished so much and uh, and holds himself with grace and and even when he's having a bad day, I I love watching Paul Macbeth struggle because he teaches he teaches me so much. Just watching him struggle and the way he holds himself when he when he doesn't have a good shot, um, says a lot about who he is. And I would really like to play around of golf with, with Paul someday and just oh. just be able to listen to him talk i heard he's very personable almost like in your head nice um and some people think he does it on purpose <laughs> but regardless i think that would be I, he would be my number one for sure
0: yeah that's awesome and i agree with the reason why so maybe, maybe someday someday
1: maybe someday <laughs>
0: All right, Jay. Well, again, I got to know a lot about your dying as well as you personally. So I greatly appreciate you um, sharing your secrets. Um, So you are going to be raffling off a disc. So you listeners can grab uh, potentially a ticket or two for an amazing dying disc by JK. Uh, so The disc that he will be raffling off will go live when this podcast goes live, and it will be live for two weeks. And 100% of the proceeds will go back to Jay to support his dying habits. And if you want to see him continue to uh, produce amazing things, buy some tickets. I'll
1: I'll, I'll, I'll donate all the proceeds to the local So you you guys buy a bunch of tickets because I'm going to give all the money to the local youth disc golf group.
0: There you go, folks. So all the money that gets donated will be donated. So you can get
1: 100%.
0: Yes. So you can get an awesome disc as well as help out for a good cause. So you can get some tickets by going to dyersguild.co slash raffle. So, Jay, whoa. that's awesome that you're going to be donating, but where can people find your work? Um, well, you can reach out to me on
1: Facebook or Instagram. I'm at Instagram at functional discs, function L discs. And uh, yeah, just that. I don't, I don't have a website. I don't, I, I have an Etsy store, but I've never been able to put anything in it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, I'm sorry. It's not more complicated or, fancy i don't even have a logo (laughs)
0: hey that that's perfectly fine simple is good sometimes yeah all right jay well again i greatly appreciate you being on and until next time guys we'll talk to you later
1: all Um, right peace. peace